economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Kevin Uberteche, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Joining with us today, Dr. Ross McCullough, the founder of the Gordon Institute and Wayne Ch Angel Chair of Economics, Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordon Institute Professor and Economic Education and Research, and Graduate Assistant, Joao Pereira. All right, so we've got a guest here today. Our special guest is Dr. Levi Russell. Uh, you might remember him from some earlier podcasts because he uh, was our first uh, professor here that we had with the Institute at Otto University, and uh, he has uh, now gone on to be at uh, Kansas University. Um, Levi is a convert to the Catholic faith, a husband, father of three children. He's an associate teaching professor in the School of Business at the University of Kansas, teaches managerial economics, foundations, and business. Uh, Levi's research in Catholic social teaching, political economy, and the economics of risk. And so he's a K-State grad, so he's kind of Kansas through and through, uh, even though the Cyclones had to beat up on the Wildcats the other night. I was, yeah. was going to rib you at yeah, some point right. on that, and that just seemed appropriate at, at this time. So, uh, <laughs> Levi, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, I should say welcome back to the show. Yeah, so, there yeah, you go. It's great to, great here to I am again. So Levi continued to live in Ottawa, so he's... Uh, still uh, uh, here in town, and uh, it's great to catch up with you. Yeah. So uh, today we wanted to talk about usury. Um, you've done some work in that area, and tell us what you yeah. want to say. I've got a short paper on just kind of uh, covering the topic in general for people, just to kind of give an, a general overview, um, specifically thinking about uh, the, the Catholic Church and, and its sort of authoritative teaching on the subject. But um, I've since writing that, I've done some more research on uh, kind of the general foundations of the concept, and um, I've got a, a paper soon to be in review uh, at a, a journal on um, on the topic and trying to apply it to the the modern uh, economy, the modern you know modern financial institutions. And so, uh, you know, usury is something that uh, was sort of uh, the, the concept of usury and the concept of um, you know, lending at interest being uh, a bad thing was a common view of everyone uh, in the Western world up until uh, fairly recently um, in the grand scheme of things. And um, and so it's kind of interesting to think about how uh, the economy has changed and how uh, financial uh, institutions have developed and, and changed um, over that time period. But uh, the concept of usury goes back to at least to Aristotle and this is interest yeah. rates and borrowing related to, correct? Yeah. That, um, so whether it's high interest rates or even in some cases historically it was just interest rates at all. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So the idea of uh, usury as high rates of interest is a very recent concept. And so this is why it's, it's not irrelevant uh, at this point, the concept of usury, but um, it you know it it only pertains to this idea of that there should be some kind of legal maximum rate that people are allowed to charge on uh, you know whether it's borrowing for like a credit card or you know a lot of people talk about the example of payday lending. 
but I don't think it really shows up much in sort of business lending anymore. Um, but definitely the concept of usury as a, a prohibition on, on charging interest sort of period, end of story, um, certainly had um, a lot to do with business and that sort of thing. Um, in, in what I would say is the, the early modern period, um, all the way up until the 18th century. So Levi, when I think of interest in usury in the Catholic Church, like my brain goes to the kind of inflection point is like a lot of the thinkers in the school of Salamanca, right? The, the Hispanic scholars. And so kind yeah. of before uh, some of those schoolmen came about, like the, you know, interest and usury were basically completely coupled together. It's like, if you're charging interest, then, you know, you're engaging in usury. And some of those scholars uh, explained reasons why it might be uh, okay to charge interest. Is that generally what you find in the history or do you, you have a deeper knowledge than me? So I'm curious when you see this change happen. Yeah. So, well, I, I would say um, that this idea of usury being, um, you know, decoupling, as you said, and, and saying that, you know, well, maybe we can charge interest. Um, I think sort of philosophically, it goes back to uh, William of Ockham and this whole idea of nominalism um, and the sort of subjectivity of, um, you know, it, a lot of the justification came down to, uh, for some people, um, and you can read Brian McCall's work as a, he's a legal historian, I believe at um, University of Oklahoma. Um, he talks about this in a paper from 2008 about this idea of subjectivism and saying, look, usury is really about, uh, you know, the feeling that someone has when they're charging interest. It's more about their intention, right? Do they have bad intentions? Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, if you read uh, there's a jurist who died uh, just maybe 20 years ago named John Noonan, uh, who was a Catholic um, and, a, and a judge, um, he has a sort of what I think most people would consider to be authoritative history on um, the scholastics. So that would be St. Thomas Aquinas mm. and his followers and like you're talking about the, the late scholastics, sure. right? They, he, he writes a, a really good history of the idea of usury over that time period. Um, and so Noonan does a good job writing history. And then the problem is, in my mind, uh, about five years later, he just sort of turns his mind over and says, well, it's not really that big a deal and it's totally fine. <laughs> um, but certainly, um, I would say you have a, a juxtaposition, at least in the church, in the Catholic Church, uh, between, you know, the sort of speculative work of um, you know, Molina and other Salamanca, you know, the, the late scholastics and the sort of um, authoritative word of the popes or whatever on this sort of thing. So at the same time that you have, um, you know, these late scholastics, a handful of them kind of, you know, doing this sort of speculative philosophy thing, um, you have uh, popes saying, no, like, <laughs> you know, charging interest is usury and uh, you know, there is no difference. This is what we've always taught, you know, um, and, and you can get into like Aristotle. His, his idea was that um, money is inert. Money is, uh, it's not fertile. Okay. And so this concept is, uh, was sort of in the medieval mind. Um, and you can even see in the early modern period, if you look at Shakespeare's play, um, The Merchant of Venice, right? Uh, the villain in that is Shylock. And his villainy is made real by his charging of interest for a loan, a business loan, um, to the the young protagonist in the story. So, so. would you would your position be that all charging of interest is usury? Then, 
I I think that there are uh, there are very few um, justifications for it, and so the language that I think is appropriate, the sort of the the last of the Catholic Church's kind of big authoritative documents. So in the case of like a, a what we call an encyclical letter, so like a, a, a kind of a big deal document that's supposed to last through the ages, right? Uh, was in 1845 by Benedict XIV um, called Vix Prevenit, the title. The English title is On Usury and Other Dishonest Profits. Okay. So again, it sort of makes it clear. Sure. Um, but what he talks about is, um, he says, you know, there are what he calls just titles to interest. So in other words, there are reasons why someone might, um, at the end of the day, obtain more at the end of that loan than they lent out. And so, for instance, some people would say, like, for instance, um, inflation. So if, you know, <laughs> Justin lends Peter money and the dollar, you know, declines in value over time, then, uh, you know, Peter uh, uh, would then pay back Justin uh, the original amount, but in the dollars of the day when it was lent. Right. And so this would be a, a just title in theory. Sure. Um, in the sense that, um, you know, the, the test is, is just justice, right? Is it just that Peter paid Justin back at a deflated, you know, or excuse me, in an inflated currency, right? In, in a mm -hmm. worth, less, worth less currency. Yeah. So I, I wanted to, I know Justin has something. You go, Justin. I would like to interject here sure. because uh, if I get, if I let you economists just start talking about, <laughs> we, you're just going to start throwing objections uh, and by a, objections i mean objections um objections to each <laughs> other about like what and what doesn't constitute usury right so can we just first get a definition a yeah. clear definition of what you mean by usury right and how that differs from what yeah. no people sometimes say usury is because i right. think you touched on this earlier when people are talking about payday loans some people say like 20 percent that's usury but they right. don't say that about other stuff yeah. Um, and so how the usage of the word usury might be different in what you're talking about than what people normally say. Yeah. And then so what usury is, right. why the Catholic Church says usury is bad, right? and then what that means sure. for, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, so I would say the definition now is uh, interest at a very high rate. And what that, what the, the height of that rate is, is not really defined it's up in the air so i mean i i believe the law for credit cards is like 30 percent apr i think but um it's, yeah, it's like, something about excessively high interest um where arbitrary I, basically but sure. like in argentina it should be 60 percent. yeah right yeah <laughs> so yeah. that kind of gets into your just thing now yeah so um so as far as a definition of usury um that 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 i would say is um, sensible is charging interest on a loan um, unless there is some kind of, like I said, a just title like inflation. So if there's inflation that's relevant to, um, you know, what's going on, then that would be a just reason for someone to uh, take, you know, for someone who's lending money to get more than they gave. So every payment that's uh, more than like purchasing power or value or something right. like that. Yeah, that, that could be one way to go. And that's and I think that depends on, on what you think about, you know, whether whether inflation is a just title. Um, other just titles that are floated are things like 
um, well, I'll, I'll leave the Latin word out, but essentially opportunity cost, right? You know, is that a just title? Is that something that justifies interest on a loan and thus meaning, so since it's justified, it would not be usury. So usury is, um, it's related to the idea of the just price. You're taking more than you were, than you gave. Yeah. So I, I, I have, uh, I've only read on this topic, a book by, uh, I think it's Alejandro Chauvin or something like that. Uh, he writes sure. about the late scholastics and he gives like three titles that have been floated. One of them is what you said, opportunity cost. Uh, another one is if you incur losses because of the loan. Mm -hmm. And so you can ask for extra money back, basically, if the giving the loan is going to cause you mm -hmm. to make a loss, maybe the drawing up the paperwork or something like that. Um, and one of the problems I have with uh, I, these these titles is like, especially if opportunity cost is actually a title that justifies it, it seems like then all interest uh, charging would mm -hmm. be then justified, right? Like you sneak in the back door every single charge of interest if you can say, well, I had a high opportunity cost and sure. you know, rightfully all, all loans have opportunity costs, right? And yeah, so it yeah. seems like all loans should have interest with them. So it's never really comported well uh, in my mind with thinking like, how could any interest charging be usury yeah. if all interest charging is okay because it's opportunity and, cost driven. But that would be sucking out the risk uh, premium associated with that loan, right? So if it's your opportunity cost, I could invest over here and earn 8%. Right. And then, so to be just, I can't charge Levi more than eight, right. even though Levi is a high risk guy and like I should be charging like 18%. Sure. Right. It, that's the usury part, maybe, if, if it would only be opportunity cost driven. Yeah. So in so, addition to inflation, I suppose. Right. So we have this risk component that I think is is interesting. And, and I think that's sort of a separate thing. But so I, I just want to make sure, did I answer your question about definition? Uh, I, the, the problem is, I think, is that it can't be put down in like one sentence. I think the problem is that usury is, you know, is unjustified interest. And so then the question is, well, what are the justifications, right? And so those are part of the definition. Yeah. My worry is that I don't think you're doing this, but somebody could think that it's circular if it's the definition of usury is unjust interest. And then we right. define, well, what counts as unjust interest? Well, the usury I mean, ones are. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. So he's right. So this is why so, we have to go yeah, into talking out. about things like, um, like you said, um, this idea of opportunity cost. And I, and I think you're right about the sort of it, it sort of gives you the license to say, well, whatever, whatever I whatever I can come up with as an opportunity cost, then sure. right. And so this is why I'm not super great on. I, I really don't like the late scholastics on this. I think sure. they kind of went um, off into some of them. Language. To be fair, some of them stuck pretty closely. To, sure. is, Tom, sure. is it Thomas Aquinas, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah of them to Aquinas, close, yeah. But right. some of them did provide these titles. Sure. So, so what Aquinas says about this sort of thing is like. Look, uh, we're trying to we're trying to guarantee something beyond divine providence here, right? Uh, we're trying to come up with some kind of guarantee that does not exist in the world given to us by God, and so we have this idea of opportunity cost. Okay, well, what what they actually said it was called lucrum cessans. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what that means is profit ceasing. It's like if you could have earned a profit with this uh, money that you lent to me then I owe you that profit somehow. But Aquinas, I mean, in the Summa Theologica says, look, this is, this is wrong because you're trying to guarantee something beyond divine providence, right? Um, and so, you know, because there's a chance, you know, why should I have to guarantee you an income just because you might have gotten that income sure. in some other line of investment? 
And, you know, like, for instance, McCall in his paper, he tried and, and he's, you know, he's a lawyer. So it's weird for him to talk into the finance stuff. But he's he's trying to come up with like, OK, well, if Peter normally lent out, you know, X amount of money from this pot of money he had. And if the other, you know, percentage of the money went to investments and then someday, you know, then then Justin comes to him and says, hey, I really need some some money for something. And so Peter takes money from his normal investments and goes, you know, gives it to Justin. And I just think this whole thing is just silly because, again, we, we're, we're falling back on, you know, this is not consonant with divine providence. I don't owe you a guaranteed income because you might, might have, have gotten it. Other, well, yeah. otherwise. Now, the profit ceasing part that you talked about. That is normally tied up with this idea of default, right? So if um, if I default, then I owe you something. Yeah, late repayment. Right. So yeah. in in the medieval era, this was certainly a justifi justifiable discussion. But the problem is that, well, first of all, as McCall points out, charging someone up front for that risk just makes it more likely that they're going to default, right? Um, but mm, second of all, yeah. the default was something, was a, was a concrete loss that someone made, right? So if I didn't pay you back on time, or if I didn't pay you back at all, right? Well, well, sure. I mean, but that has nothing to do with interest, right? Interest is I'm paying you more than you gave me. Whereas if concretely, if it actually happens that I don't pay you back when we agree, well, then I've broken a contract. I've broken a promise, right? right. But that has nothing to do with interest. Okay. All right. Well, that looks like a good spot for a break. We'll uh, come back and engage. I think some economists would look at this and say, usury doesn't exist. I mean, if you've got two people that are voluntarily engaged in the, in the exchange uh, with a contracted amount of interest, uh, this usury stuff is crazy. Um, I don't know if I'm one of those economists, but I'm going to learn as we go and we <laughs> delve a little deeper into this topic. We'll be back in just a bit. Ottawa University has an exciting new major. PPE, which stands for philosophy, politics, and economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest. This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and then participate in competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics. Our everyday economics program is just a half day on a Saturday and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. All right, so we're back and uh, I wanna think about some examples of, of you know, what maybe most people might start to agree that would be usury and then we can kind of whittle our way uh, down from there again. I think there's part of me, the free market person wants to think voluntary exchange between two people. They both agree to it. Um, I, I don't know if uh, some, you know, taking advantage of illiterate people, for instance, that couldn't use a calculator. You know, there's certainly some questions there to, to maybe explore. But uh, Levi, do you got some examples of just what what maybe a lot of people might uh, think is is usury? Yeah. So I think I think you could start with something like a payday loan. 
and 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 again, this is justified through the idea that it's super high interest rates. I don't think people in general will say it's because interest is being charged. Um, so for you know, if we kind of go back to what I was saying before, so uh, the idea of opportunity cost is not a, a just title because you're going, like say Thomas says, you're going beyond divine providence, right? You're guaranteeing something that can't be guaranteed, you know, here in this world, right? Um, and the idea of a default, well, a default justifies, you know, some kind of payment to someone if it actually happens, but it doesn't justify an interest rate, in, you know, before that. Um, and so if you we keep that stuff in mind, then um, charging interest on a credit card would be unjust. Yeah. Um, well, and let, let's not go too far from the super- payday loan because I'm not sure some of the listeners might not have an idea, but my little bit of understanding, and maybe you've read some things like, you you need the money a thousand dollars and you mm-hmm. get paid in two weeks. Sure. You you end up paying back uh thirteen hundred dollars or something. And if you right. figure out the annual interest, it's actually that would be thirty percent, but it'd actually be much more. And there might be a twenty dollar fee associated with it or something, right? And so we can easily get I think over a hundred percent. Right. By the time you combine a fee and an interest rate. Sure. So I, uh, is that a fair characterization of payday loans as yeah. far as you understand? Yeah, as far as I get. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this leads me to like a few different questions. One is um, I am curious uh, what we do with people who aren't in the Catholic church, but who are like adjacent. So like Christians. <laughs> right. Uh, and, yeah. and so Us Protestants. The, these like, I think in general, I think Protestants undervalue contributions by people like Thomas Aquinas, who actually do, I think have like very good theological discussions about things, but I'm curious, like, a in scripture uh you know if you're trying to appeal to protestants do we see sort of just uh yeah. not justification for but uh <laughs> opposition to interest sure. one place that i see it a lot is the old testament especially talking you know within jewish communities so one question is like is this rule really for christians and second is it for christians just with each other or is it for christians with everybody uh you know non-christians mm-hmm. too um so that's one question i i would have off the bat because sure. Uh, you know, that if this is like, if what you're saying is right, then a lot of Christians uh, are accepting an immoral practice in the world around them all the time, sure. right? And so yeah. they probably want to know that that's happening. So uh, do you have any yeah. place that you go to in scripture for it? Or? Yeah, so I mean, there's a few things uh, to say. So first of all, if you want to read um, a Methodist uh, philosopher's take on it, uh, his last name is Franks, 2009 was the publishing year. And I believe the book is called He Became Poor. And the book is about St. Thomas's work and, and sort of talking about Christ's perspective on these sort of financial things and sort of taking Christ's poverty as instructive. Um, and so, you know, we have Christ's commandment, right? Lend hoping nothing, right? We have that in the New Testament. Certainly, like you said, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of restrictions and, and sort of rules. Um, I believe Exodus 20 um, Exodus twenty or 22, I can't remember which chapter it is, but there was a, a reading in our in our liturgy recently about this. Um, but so the way I think about this is like, look, you know, St. Paul, uh, you know, was not a Jew, right? Um, and, you know, we, we as Christians, solved this question, I think, in the book of Acts. And we said, you know, is, is the gospel only for the Jews? And, you know, the answer was no, right? And so my perspective on it is, is if there's something that lasts, from the Old Testament to the New, which I think this does, because like Christ said, lend hoping nothing, right? Um, then it applies to all of us who are neighbors, right? And we are neighbors, right? We're Christians. 
Um, the other way to think about it is a um, one of the parables. And what's funny about this one, and I believe it's, uh, I believe I was reading Franks and he points this out, but I'm not, I'm not sure who, who pointed this out, but um, one of the parables is about uh, the parable of talents, right? right? And then there's the third, the third, uh, you know, servant who, uh, you know, buries the money, sure. right? He just hides it. And the, this is often used as an example in favor of charging interest. interest. Yeah, yeah. Because what does the master say when he comes back? He says, have at least he says interest. yeah, I, I could have put this in the bank and, and drawn interest. But here's the thing. Here's what he actually says. He says to this guy, because the servant says, look, I was afraid because I know basically mm -hmm. you're a bad guy, right? You're yeah. a jerk. Yeah. And so I was afraid of you being a jerk to me. So I just hid this stuff so I didn't lose it. And so then what does he say in response? He says, you knew that I was a jerk, right? So he's admitting that he's a jerk. You knew I was a bad guy. And yet you didn't do anything with this money. I could have just done something and earned interest. Well, he's telling you he's a bad guy, right? And then he's saying, I could have earned interest. Mm, so even, I don't interpret that. So even if it's, and, and, and even, you know, and beyond that, it's like, you know, a par parables are parables, right? Yeah. So uh, that, you know, this, They're not supposed to be taken literally, but even if you take this one literally, it still is telling you, uh, you know, I, I think my take on it, parables is pretty similar. You have to be very careful interpreting parables to mean anything beyond their narrow message. So the message of that parable is you should use the things God gives you to further his kingdom. Sure. And it's not about money. And here's here's the evidence for that is there's a parable called the parable of the dishonest steward, uh, which is about a steward who basically lies and cheats his way into getting a new job. And I'm not going to go into the details, but sure. uh, Jesus uses that to teach a lesson. The lesson he's not teaching is that it's okay to lie and cheat, right? Uh, right. If Jesus was teaching that, we would say that he would have to be a false prophet, and he's yeah. not, right? right? So, like, you can't take parables. You can't pull literal meanings out of figurative stories that have one central purpose, and that's what a parable is. So, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I take it that the answer is something like, well, if... If what you're saying is correct, the test for whether something is usury or not uh, is whether or not it's just. Yeah, commu yeah. commutative justice is the term that so, we use for this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, if that's the case, then it seems pretty clear that the prohibition on usury isn't just for Christians dealing with Christians. If right. it's about justice, it's about Christians sure. dealing with everybody. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, because yeah, as yeah. Christians, we don't just owe justice to other Christians. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and what's interesting about this is so like I, I spoke about Aristotle and sterility of money. Well, <clears throat> you know the the Muslims had Aristotle before we did, right? Uh, in time, at least, you know they they discovered him, rediscovered him, um, and so uh, one of the one of the Muslim scholars we cite is uh, Al Ghazali, I believe is his name, and he he basically reiterates Aristotle, and and so you can see that actually in the Muslim world they've been able to sort of to, to a greater extent than us in the West, they have been able to maintain this sort of control on um, lending through this idea of usury um, a little bit better. Yeah, so that, this is what, something else I wanted to push on a little bit. So I, I think that you can make uh, biblical arguments against usury, and I, I think you did a, 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 one of many ways that you could do it there. Sure. But then, like, I actually, I feel tension at that point as a Christian, because I don't actually buy this idea that money is sterile. Okay. Um, if you look at two societies, or if you look at one society, and then you imagine that society gets rid of money, I think the next thing that happens is that society loses a tremendous amount of wealth. Uh, money is not sterile. It's not just like this placeholder thing. Like, it is yeah. something that actually generates value for individuals and economies. 
uh, you know, barter economies are notoriously and like poor. Therefore, reduces poverty. And, and so, so maybe I'm confusing what the word sterile means there, but I've yeah. always been uh, reluctant to accept this idea that money is sterile. Yeah. So I think I can clarify. So if you watch The Merchant of Venice, and I would say watch the ones if you're going to watch them, watch the movies that were made back in the '70s. Don't do the new ones because they're terrible. But um, it, it makes it makes it very clear. There's, uh, I believe, it's Act One, Scene Three. Um, it, it's the the famous one of the famous speeches by Shylock. And he's in dialogue with Antonio, um, and he's saying, uh, look, you know, our father Jesse, right, he had his sheep, right, he had his ewes and rams, and he was able to make them produce, right, they were very productive. And here I'm doing the same thing with my money, right, and then Antonio's response, one of his responses is, you know, you're, you're doing something with barren metal, he calls it barren metal. Now, so what we what do we mean by sterility? What we mean is that it doesn't produce its own, right? So obviously we understand what he's talking about when he's talking about ewes and rams, right? We leave them to their own devices and they they multiply, right? And what Shylock is saying is he's like, look, I'm just really good at making money multiply. And this is precisely what we mean uh, or what Aristotle means about sterility. It's not saying that it's not useful. And that it's not um, a productive thing in the sense that it helps us as uh, you know in in our uh, in our commerce, right? Certainly, it's it's useful to us as a medium of exchange. But what generates um, you know a return is productive business activity. So it's the activity itself. In, in the medieval world, the the term was the the, the fruitful base. Okay. Um, so in Vix Prevenit, uh, Pope Benedict XIV refers to this um, in the sense that he says, look, you can have a partnership. It was at the time it was called a societus. Okay? You and I could partner together in a business, but we have to share the risk of that business. Mm -hmm. And so we're sort of being artificial if then Justin wants to invest or Russ wants to invest, but they say, I want to invest and, and take part and take a return from your business, but I don't want to share in the risk, right? So divine providence tells us that productive, you know, these productive activities that we engage in, they're subject to risk. They're subject to the vicissitudes of reality in a fallen world. And so to protect someone from that and to still give them a return on it is a sort of denial of divine providence. Yeah, it, it, go ahead, Justin. I have a question, and uh, you can maybe tell me whether this is answerable or never. Maybe it would take another podcast to answer. Um, I, so I've I've read the paper, which I I think you do a great job in that paper of kind of laying out the things Thanks. that I've been uh, trying to raise here about, like, okay, what is uh, why is usury bad? Why is interest bad? What kinds of repayments are bad when they're bad, etc. Um, sure. And then there's another part of the paper where you say, look, we can, and this is. The part that I want to question you about now, which, or just let you talk about, um, debt is a huge part of our economy now, sure. right? Um, and it seems like proposals like, oh, debt is bad, we should get rid of usury. I think those some people can hear that as like, that's like saying we should make an engine with no metal at this point. Like, yeah, yeah, like, right. okay, there's like we can't just take that out. But I think you also, and maybe you hinted on this when you talked about the Islamic world too. You think there are some practices which could replace yeah. some uh, yeah. of the practices which are usurious, which you think could accomplish a lot of the things that lending does now, and right. maybe not all of them, 
uh, obviously right. not the usurious ones, right? But yeah. could you say something about like sure. what ethical lending might look like? Sure. Yeah. So this gets down to like the practical, practical part of this. So first of all, I think on the investing side, you know, can we allocate capital rationally with nothing but equity? Well, I think we can. I think that's totally fine. Um, and my dissertation was on, uh, you know, uh, balancing <laughs> uh, uh, equity and debt for cooperatives. So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not ignorant on the subject. Um, what I would say in terms of, you know, people and, and the basically what we would call consumption lending, right? Uh, consuming something, you know, like we have a, like a house, right? If it's a durable good or whether it's just, you know, junk that we buy with a credit card. Um, so I think, um, I think the, the, all of this goes hand in hand with sort of loss of community, a sort of um, destruction of mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the uh, what, what I think in, in, in terms of um, like subsidiarity, right? The idea that like, you know, we should do things at a local level. We should help each other out. Um, and so my example of this is sort of like, uh, it's like social security, right? If you take away, you know, my responsibility to care for my elders with my own finances, then you take away something of that relationship too. And so if, for instance, if Justin is in need financially and I'm friends with Justin and I think, uh, you know, he needs something from me, I say, well, if, if credit cards are just generally available to him, I say, you know what, Justin's fine. He can handle it himself. Just go get a credit card, buddy. No, don't worry about it. If these things aren't available, then all of a sudden the whole world is different, right? And now we're sort of, we feel that obligation to help each other and we actually act on it because we don't think that there's just some, you know, Bank of America out there to just print more cash for Justin to get what he needs, right? So I think that um, there's actually a lot of salutary effects of, of moving this direction. So, um, you know, a bank uh, obviously, you know, is a, is a profit making institution. I think one way we can move in the direction of a more just economy would be to use um, uh, co-ops a lot more, um, and specifically uh, credit unions. What is the difference between a credit union and a bank? Well, uh, a credit union is owned by the members of that cooperative. It's a cooperative. And so that ownership um, is what confers on you, confers on it this sort of nonprofit status, right? So yes, uh, the- um, Are credit unions nonprofits? The, well, I think in this, yeah, in, in this sense, they are because yeah. what they do is they return the profits to the members. Okay. Are they, but are they legally, like they legally can't draw profits? Uh, they are legally required to pay out their profits to the members. Okay. So yeah, so it's not a nonprofit. It's not a like a right. Okay. Yeah. But, it, but it's, it's not a, it's not a shareholder type of organization. Okay. So the idea would be that if, you know, okay, well, how are we going to build houses? How are we going to, you know, do things like this that seem like big deals? Um, well, first of all, if, if you, you know, as we know with um, uh, with student loans, right, the more lending you put into something, the higher the prices go, right? Um, but second of all, I would say, you know, we can accomplish this in a better way. Now, is it perfect? No, but um, we can do better through credit unions because if everyone, everyone who is borrowing or lending through that institution is a member of it and they share in the profit of the organization. So, you know, Russ is an investor, you know, through the co-op on net, right? He puts in more than he takes out. Peter gets a loan for his house, right? And both of them on a per man basis share in the profit of the organization. 
And this is similar to uh, something from, you know, the, the, the sort of late medieval, early modern world called the Montes Pietatis, um, which was essentially um, a, a nonprofit, but it was, uh, it was more like a, um, like if, if, if Justin needed something, if he needed money and he had something, he'd pawn it. And then, um, you know, he would get money up front, he would do his thing, and then he would come back and pay and get his item back. Um, so. Okay. So th this does lead me to one more question then that since we don't live in that world, uh, you know, I have a savings account that for the first time in my lifetime is drawing interest, right? And so okay. I've got money in a savings account, I'm getting <laughs> monthly interest and all that. Uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the implications of this is if most lending today is, in, is really usury, uh, it seems like I'm taking part in that usury, like a significant point part if I'm drawing interest, because it's my money that's being lent out, at least theoretically, who knows if it's actually my dollars or whatever, you know, maybe right. the bank is not lending out all of its reserves. But in theory, my money is being lent out. And the bank is redirecting at least a portion of the money they're making off that uh, loan to me. So uh, I guess like, is is there within this framework a moral obligation for Christians to like unbank to pull themselves out of interest drawing savings accounts and things like that? Because it's you know, uh, you it's like investing in uh, a brothel, right? And you're drawing money from it. Right. Maybe you're not running the brothel, but it's the activity yeah. is you, something you're financing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the first thing I would say is like, you know, you have this idea of, um, you know, material cooperation, right? So material cooperation in an evil practice, right? Usury. Um, so there's certainly that component. Um, but what I would say is that um, there's some sense in which, you know, if we, if we did this in a better way, if we did this through, I think, through the, the model of the sort of modern Montes Pietatis, which would be uh, the credit union, I think there's less of a problem there, but um, certainly I think that the, the the interest that you are drawing from that account at that bank is derivative of mm -hmm. the loans that the that the bank is making, yeah. right? And so to the extent that the loans that they're making are usurious, you know, there's some kind of sort of indirect participation in that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I think that's. A little bit more difficult question just because of the kind of disconnect there and because historically the montes pietatis was allowed sure um and you know that they they started to run out of money right and they're like okay well i guess we've got it since we have to sort of support this institution right um, we actually have to you know pay someone to put money in to help um and so you know but but i think in terms of you know helping people that are like honestly downtrodden and stuff is um, something you can do through uh, a nonprofit. And, and so the other thing about this is like, you know, if, if let's say, you know, Justin just spends his money and freely and he's not, you know, he's not being careful or anything like that. And then he has to get a loan so he can feed his family. Well, that doesn't mean Justin's participating in usury. We can just say that maybe Justin is, you know. Good old uh, fashioned sinner. Well, he's, <laughs> he's, he's just being, uh, you know, uh, not careful. He's not, uh, you know, he's spending when he shouldn't, yeah. right? He's being, you imprudent. know, yeah, he's being imprudent. And so that's a sin on his own, but not usury. Sure. Right? Usury okay. comes to the lender. Okay. Well, this looks like a good place to wrap. I think there's more to talk about. We'll see sure. if we stretch another podcast out of this, but because yeah. uh, I'm, I'm kind of seeing uh, a lot of the Dave Ramsey wisdom in this with uh, basically don't, don't do debt. And so I think uh, maybe I'll close this episode with just, you know, if you kind of heard Levi's words and, um, 
think that it might be a, a, a way to live life. One way you can do it personally is just to live a debt-free life. At least that's a it's a small sure. little contribution. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got all the the goodies that come along with that with with wealth building and helping your family out and all that. We can maybe stuff. link to my paper if they want to read more specific. And the depth, yeah, we'll put the a link to the paper on that as well. So well, this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five star rating helps other people find us. Otherwise, please uh, pass this along to uh, your friends and family. Other than that, be fruitful, and multiply. Thanks. Mm -hmm.